Welcome to the House of Mourning. Hey there, I'm your host, Joelle Coteau Willard, and this podcast is a space where my guests and I explore the raw, unfiltered truths and inner knowings we tap into in grief and in life after loss and trauma. We reject societal norms that condition us into bypassing and fast forwarding through the work of healing. My personal desire to normalize grief is the result of my own healing journey, having lost my father at the age of 33, and most recently the death of my second son late term in pregnancy. For those of you that find yourself in grief, recalibrating after loss or healing from trauma, I honor you. Perhaps you are here because you are navigating supporting a loved one who is grieving or on a healing journey. If so, way to show up for yourself and them. Wherever you are on the journey, all of you is welcome here. We have the lovely Dr. Mikkel on today. Let me tell you a little about her, Dr. Mikkel Harris. Her bio is that she received a bachelor's in psychology from Baylor University, a mm-hmm. master's in psychology from Houston Baptist University, and a PhD in clinical school psychology from the University of Houston. She currently works in private practice as a licensed psychologist and CEO of Harris Psychological Services, LLC, offering mental health support across the lifespan. Dr. Harris also provides training, education, and consultation to organizations around the globe focused on an array of mental health themes. Finally, and most recently, she is the co-founder of Bloomwell Partners, LLC, a consulting firm that equips corporate entities with the skills necessary to afford grief-informed leadership and care within the workplace. Side note, one of my most favorite things on the planet, like, oh my gosh, I have no words for this. Anyhow, throughout the past decade, Dr. Harris has presented at over 30 domestic and international conferences and has been interviewed on several podcasts with topics ranging from grief and loss to community mental health and trauma. Dr. Harris has been featured as a mental health expert in countless TV features, magazines, and articles. And as well, she is an author, because why (laughs) wouldn't she be with this CV (laughs) of her book called Relaxing Into the Pain? Welcome, Dr. Mikala. In my heart, you're like, oh, you're like my shero. Joelle, I just love you. Um, Thank you so much for that introduction. Every time I hear that, a part of my mind goes to how in the world have I slept in the past 20 years, but it's been such a great journey. And I'm so grateful to just be in this space with you and to share our experiences with your audience. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you. And, you know, I've shared with this, this with you in the past is like, Everything you're doing, everything that you have accomplished or accomplishing or forging forward in this space is a true heartfelt desire Mm -hmm. of alignment of what I 
hope to do a speckle of. And so <laughs> tell us what has led you to become a grief educator and expert, Dr. Mikel. Yeah. So I'll first say that you are already, Joelle, doing the good work of um, education around grief and loss. House of Mourning is such a necessary space. Um, so, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the future. So I will say that I never thought in a million years that grief and loss would be my uh, emphasis area. I actually started my career in early childhood. I was working with children with an array of developmental disabilities and their families. Loved that. Uh, put too many miles on my car in Houston, Texas, driving to <laughs> homes and uh, engaging with families. But the theme that I saw even then, even though I wasn't able to recognize it as grief, was that families were really wrestling with um, navigating what's next. What does that mean for their identity as parents? Um, navigating the grief around their children's diagnoses. So flash forward, I decided that I wanted to get my master's degree. And in that space, I had the opportunity to serve as a pediatric um, mental health provider for children diagnosed with cancer. So that was really the first entree into physical death. And mm -hmm. Yet, because I'm stubborn and hard-headed to a large degree, I didn't make those connections quite yet. Um, so in 2012, I was working on uh, my postdoctoral fellowship at Children's Hospital LA, and I got a phone call from my mom, and this was about uh, early November 2012, and where she shared that she received diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer. And that was the beginning of a very devastating and uh, significant shift in my and my family's lives. That moment uh, just solidified um, that I needed to shift my career. 30 days after that phone call with my mom, she died. Uh, so I knew um, after my mom's diagnosis and her death 30 days later that um, I needed support for myself. And I was a psychologist at that time and realized much later on, probably about a year into it, that this was a niche that I needed to focus on. It wasn't sexy, but I knew it was necessary. So for the past 11 years, um, I have predominantly focused on grief and loss through my private practice, through my writing and engagements, podcasts, all of these things, and also Bloomwell, as you mentioned. Um, so it's been quite a journey and one that has deeply shifted and enriched my life in many ways. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel you when you say the, never thought I would be here, and this mm -hmm. has been the trajectory mm -hmm. of, of my journey, right? Mm -hmm. And with your grief education, mm -hmm. what is... What is a goal that you have, like an overarching agenda or, you know, goal of like, what do you want people to, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. get? Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. Um, that is one of the three sort of pillars through everything that underlies what I do. And I think the main thing that I want people to know is that grief is an individual experience and that it's not linear. I spend a lot of time in my practice, one-on-one -on -one with clients, 
um, as well as reminding myself sometimes that even though we sort of hear in society about the stages of grief and we want to really view this as a one, two, three, four, five linear process with an end point, grief is not that. It ebbs and flows. And I think within that, as people who grieve, as and also those who are supporting those who are grieving, we have to extend that compassion to understand that it's not linear. That would be the primary focus. Right. And that is the primary understanding, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. interpretation of yeah. what society seems to have like clung on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even know if that's even a word, but you yeah. know, it's like it, you know, it just, that seems to be what people think the most and then mm-hmm. put all these expectations mm-hmm. on themselves right. and people in grief. And it does not help. It doesn't. I think, I think one of the things that makes this extra challenging is that we are sort of existing in this biomedical framework and we're trying to sort of retrofit grief into that. So for example, if I have a physical injury, I go to my doctor there's a series of lab tests, there's a quantitative metric to understand what's going on. I'm prescribed something or, you know, offered some sort of support. The medical issue resolves and there's no trace of what was previously there. And if you think about grief, we want to do that, right? Wouldn't that be nice that we sort of have this injury, we go in for support. And then when we look back, we don't see the residue Um, of what was previously there, but that's not how that works. Um, But I do think the biomedical framework makes it extra difficult to wrap our mind around um, that idea. And then also, I think the way that we are wired neurologically is to compartmentalize, right? We tend to think of dichotomies, good versus bad, evil versus good, right versus wrong. And grief, again, is not a black and white process. But psychologically, if we can compartmentalize grief into a, I've done it, it's over, right? Beginning, end, it's a safer sort of space, but it's also potentially dangerous and damaging to the spirit um, when we don't allow ourselves to actually lean into the process and, and fully excavate the things that often arise. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with your company, Bloomwell, I'm curious Mm -hmm. to know how that came about because grief-informed workplaces, I mean, I found Mm -hmm. one TED Talk about it. There seems to be next Mm -hmm. to zero. (laughs) I mean, obviously, this is why you're doing what you're doing, right? But it's like, Mm-hmm. Where did this come from? Because I wish there were a thousand more branches of Bloomwell out there. And like, you know, I wish this wasn't so <laughs> new as an idea. Like, imagine that. Grief informed. We're yeah. we're starting to wrap our brain around trauma informed being a household mm-hmm. name, verbiage, what have mm-hmm. you. Still struggling on what living that means for myself or mm-hmm. for, for I think a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. however, grief informed is like, huh? Why? Yeah. Like there's it's just, you know, especially corporate America. So, so, so tell us more about that. 
Yeah. So I just am really grateful for Instagram, right? The social media space. So uh, on my platform, on Instagram, Dr. Mikkel, um, I engage in bi-weekly interviews with folks um, from all around the world because when my dad died, this was at, right at the beginning of COVID. And instead of interacting with squares on Instagram, I thought, you know, this is a way to maintain social contact. And it's also a way for me, to, me and others to be supported as we grieve. And so I found myself reaching out to people on Instagram who shared similar you know, ideas and uh, wanted also to learn a little bit more about grief and loss. So Janet William Wright, she is the founder of what's called the Mother Love Project. And mm -hmm. that's totally dedicated for people who've experienced the death of their mothers. So she offers support in Canada um, and also through an online platform for people to share their stories of mother loss. So I reached out to her and said, would you be, would you be willing to have a conversation through an Instagram live and talk about what you offer? And she said, yes, there was something about Janet that, because I've experienced the loss of a mother as well, I was just deeply connected to her. And so we maintained contact after that um, IG Live and realized that her corporate experience and work within HR and organizations in Canada and my clinical experience, as well as personal interactions in the corporate space, were the dynamic duo. And so we put our heads together and said, you know, there's, there's a need here. Uh, I think... One of the things that happened with COVID-19 is that it elevated conversations about grief and loss because workspaces were seeing, number one, employees were dying. Family members of employees were dying. So there was really no escaping and just the loss associated with not being able to be in the workplace not being able to engage daily routines and have social contacts. So all of these invisible losses were now sort of thrust into the work environment. And so when we put our minds together, we said, let's sort of create a framework and a sequence of training to help embed or help empower leaders within organizations uh, with the aim of it having a trickle down effect to their employees and beyond. So that is where this all started. Wow. Interesting that COVID mm -hmm. was such a big part of that. Like it provided this mirror of like, mm -hmm. what let's like, we got it. We got nothing else to do. We got to look here. That's right. That's and right. what is this invisible factor that, that is so connecting and yet confusing. And mm -hmm. yet, you know, like, I think um, <clears throat> there's such a, excuse me, there's such a permanence with grief and that mm -hmm. part of it. Not that it's like it, we, we are going to feel the same forever and it's always going to be horrible and da, da, mm -hmm. no, which I think is also a misunderstanding of mm -hmm. pieces that are permanent in grief. Right. right. Um, but with COVID even is like mm -hmm. this new, it's like, looking at the world, I don't think this applies to everyone because I honestly mm -hmm. do believe people have attempted to, a lot of people have attempted to go back, quote unquote, mm -hmm. um, pretend that like it didn't happen, but a lot of the world yeah. and a lot of people feel like noticeably that they're mm -hmm. different. 
after yes. COVID. And, yeah. and the word that I attribute to that is, is transformation and, mm-hmm. and, and grief. I, as I experienced it and experience it is transformative and it's mm-hmm. not, it can be. And yes. if you allow it and it's yes. not in like a, Oh, yay. Like we're having a, we got this, like, it's going to be great. This is the butterfly moment. Like Mm -hmm. it's not in this toxic positivity way. It's just, it truly is. And I Mm -hmm. think it's it's undeniable, you know? Yeah. That's the essence, Joelle, of my book, uh, Relaxing into the Pain is this idea. And I love that you said it can be transformative. Uh, because it can. That requires, however, that leaning into or what I sort of frame as relaxing into the pain so that the focal point can be on that loss and all the nuances that uh, are sort of evolving as a result of it. And so within workspaces, you can imagine everyone sort of uh, going back to work. We're back in this space. We're all experiencing different levels and um, types of losses. And employees, employers, I'm sorry, are looking at this going, what do we do? I I don't know how to interact with this. I don't know how to lead into that. How do I bring this up? Do I bring it up? And so sort of back to Bloomwell, I think that it's a great opportunity to help educate, empower, and also um, create a framework for even rethinking policies and procedures within organizations so that it's not a one-touch um, intervention, if you will, with an employee. It really is embedded in the fabric of the organization that we're going to engage these conversations from here until the end of time. So that that's our hope for this. Right. In infusing it into the mm-hmm. culture. Yes. And, and I think that's the informed piece mm-hmm. is grief can inform. And Absolutely. if we're also not letting it, right, and we're not mm-hmm. doing anything with it, like the information that we're getting from grief, mm-hmm. from people, just just gent- like in front of us being different, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's like becomes this elephant in the room that we right. choose to stay ignorant to, mm-hmm. which to be perfectly honest, I think applies to most relationships, not most, but a lot of relationships where there's grief is it's it's so relational and so much mm-hmm. of the time it divides because people mm-hmm. the non-grievers don't have tools i mean i i, I even as a griever i'm kind of like it's been hard you know yeah yeah to, there's the the tools are lacking to connect through the grief and mm-hmm. especially i think in the us more than canada cuz we're just such a smaller country with covid um and we we're not going to get into politics here. However, like we were, we took a very different stance on it in many ways than mm-hmm. <laughs> you folks did in the States culturally uh-huh. and, and what have you. Um, just sure. overall, you know, we had a lot, we were locked down for a lot longer. We got the vaccines a lot later, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But anyhow, I, my, the company I was working for during COVID and for the last decade prior to my most recent loss, was American and is American. Mm -hmm. And I would go to conferences in the States all the time. And the first conference I went to like after COVID, which it wasn't Mm -hmm. even after COVID, but anyhow, when we could, when we could meet, Uh um, was, was 2021. 
Mm-hmm. And we, we were in Vegas. And I remember we it was on September 11th. And the facilitator mm-hmm. said, you know, we honor this day. We honor the lives lost. Mm-hmm. And then they took it even a step forward is like, you know, stand if you've lost someone in mm-hmm. the last year and, wow. and we want to honor you. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and I, I'm telling you, Dr. Mikal, I almost fell off my chair as a mm-hmm. Canadian mm-hmm. surrounded by Americans. It mm-hmm. was like, it looked wow. like it was like every second person wow. was standing, Yeah, you know, COVID. So, so it's like, you know, we don't see that we are walking around in our lives. You don't yep. know who's in grief. You don't know who's not. That's especially right. in the workplace mm-hmm. and the Ted talk that I found about it. It's, it's a danger, mm-hmm. maybe not the right word, but it is so harmful to not be grief informed yes. to your people yeah. uh, in a corporate context. It harms, you know, that's why you lose people. It's right. easy to lose people for that. That's right. One of the, one of the, statistics, um, or one of the sets of statistics that Janet, Janet and I looked at was with regard to lost productivity. And when people don't feel supported or seen within the workspace, um, or they're pushed to continue to maintain productivity in a space where they may be experiencing grief, fog, fatigue, you know, the physical, spiritual, emotional health consequences of grief, that they tend to leave organizations. Well, if you think about the cost of having to hire, retrain, all of that, what we're hoping to do again is sort of offer and infuse that grief-informed framework so that employees are feeling supported, they're feeling safe to know that as their grief arises, they don't have to compartmentalize it. And there are leaders that are there to lean into that with them. We're not asking leaders to be therapists or psychologists, but we are saying that having conversations is a way to witness what's actually transpiring in the workplace. And it really is, I've said this ad nauseum, it's the witnessing of grief, right? It's not fixable. Um, It's a lifelong journey, but the witnessing of grief is so powerful to the grieving heart. And in a workspace where there is no witnessing, that employee feels isolated, they may feel marginalized, they may feel stigmatized, embarrassed, ashamed. And so you can see that that's not a healthy work environment to be in. So Mm -hmm. we're really excited about all the opportunities uh, that we're going to offer. And I really appreciate you bringing up the space to talk about Bloom Well. And you know, well, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to be following closely <laughs> because, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I have, I want to switch. I want to take what you just said and mm-hmm. parallel it out of the mm-hmm. workplace. Okay. Cause I find it so true mm-hmm. also in personal relationships. And mm-hmm. so what advice do you have for people who are not feeling seen? in their grief where people are surrounded by their closest family members and their family members are also not engaging in those conversations Mm -hmm. and it's isolating and Mm -hmm. upsetting and it can cause I'm finding it's just a big question mark that I don't know how to wrap my brain around. Yeah. Like what would you say to that? 
I'll answer this by sharing a little story from my own personal experience. So when my mom died in 2012, I went into an emotional uh, cocoon for almost a year. And I felt very angry at a lot of my close friends for not showing up in the ways that I expected or anticipated. So I had a phone call from a good friend of mine uh, about six months, seven months into my grief experience. And she said something that simultaneously angered me and I knew that it was true. And the comment was, um, first of all, sort of a, a recognition of the attempts that she actually had made to text, to call, to send letters, to do things practically. And for I couldn't see that. I couldn't see the support around me. You know, as a grieving person, that grief can make you incredibly myopic as you're trying to just wake up and survive day to day. And even when support pillars are there, sometimes they're not recognized uh, or recognizable. So she shared that. And then she said, when we tell, when, when we have talked and I've asked how you felt, you've said, I'm good. I'm fine. And that was my way. Number one, I was in a heavily grief avoidant uh, season. That mm -hmm. was my way of protecting. And I was afraid that if I actually revealed the depth of my pain, that I may not survive that um, mm -hmm. on the other side. So to answer your question, what can those who are grieving do? I think there really is um, a necessary, we've, we've got to take that necessary step to name what's really going on. And that's so vulnerable. It's so difficult. It feels so raw to name the fact that you're not okay. Um, but it's okay if you're not okay. So I would offer that. And then for the supporting person, we've got to ask some great questions. We, we've not, especially if we really have a close, intimate relationship with the person who's grieving, we've got to help sort of press a little bit beyond I'm good or I'm okay and lean into a series of questions. There, uh, There's a free resource that I offer for those who are supporting people who are grieving and it's called How to Support Someone Who's Grieving. It's a free little webinar just to get you thinking about some of the things that may come up for a grieving heart and some questions and observations that you can make so that person doesn't feel isolated. Um, but as I mentioned, for the grieving heart, it is pressing into the truth and acknowledging mm -hmm. that, not necessarily with everyone, but the key people even if it's one person um, and just sort of naming that can be extremely powerful. Uh, I, I shifted from complete anger to my friendships to mm -hmm. recognition that um, there were people who showed up. I just couldn't see it. And I, mm -hmm. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to name my own pain. Yeah. Mm, thank that's you. A, that's a tough thank you one. For I sharing. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll just, <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, the concept of embodied wisdom and embodiment and mm -hmm. grief as an embodied experience mm -hmm. is 
dear to me. I know it's dear to you. Mm -hmm. What do you believe is important for people to understand about, for grievers and non-grievers to understand about the embodied experience of it? Yeah. So I think often societally, when we think of grief, we solely view that as an emotional experience. And it is, it is, it can be very all consuming. When I think of embodiment, it's really this um, whole person impact of loss on the mind, on the body, on the spirit, on the finances, on the social relationships, on the ecology, the landscape of a person's life. And so Mm -hmm. as we think about embodiment intervention, we've got to focus on all of those aspects. Um, I, when my mom died, even though I was a psychologist, I hadn't made the connection for myself that grief was showing up in my body. I remember um, traveling to San Diego and I went to get out of the car, opened the door, and my entire left side was paralyzed. I had to lift my my thigh out of the car and, sl- and sort of like slam my feet with my hand up and down on the ground just to sort of wake and revive my leg. And that was probably the first realization in my own journey that grief wasn't just here. It wasn't just in my heart that it literally was manifesting in my bones. And so uh, grief is a whole person experience and we've got to do a better job at sort of naming that and intervening uh, as such. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I've been having like stabbing pains in my like different pains. Like I, I have lived with, um, I've, I had fibromyalgia like diagnosis 10 years ago and I've Mm -hmm. been pretty much symptom free for the last like eight. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's come out a little bit in some of those symptoms resurfacing again, uh, Mm -hmm. like very little, but Mm -hmm. then I've gotten new pains. Like I have chronic neck pain. And Mm -hmm. I've been getting these new pains in the middle of my back on milestones, like on my son's due date and then on his one year. And and it's like, you know what I mean? Of Mm -hmm. course, it's connected. And it's not like I'm consciously like, let's give myself some back pain, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, my God, my back, you know, it's so obvious and Mm -hmm. yet confusing and Mm um. The, the trauma therapy that I've been experiencing, mm-hmm. uh, not EMDR, but ART, it's like mm-hmm. I can feel layers of yeah. my pain, like leaving from my tissues. And yeah. Yeah. it is it like, it's insane. Well, I'll, I'll reference Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who is just wrote an incredible book, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's talking about the impact of uh, individual or isolated or cumulative trauma, and that that shows mm-hmm. up, it resonates in our bodies. The body is keeping the score. And because I think, again, societally, we live in sort of a disembodied world. We're compartmentalized. Remember, I talked about our natural neurology, which is compartmentalization. So our body's doing one thing, our mind's mm-hmm. over there. Well, if you think about that, just that chasm between the the mental digestion, the emotional digestion of the pain and the physical, 
if we can work to a recognize that the body's keeping the score and then through interventions integrate those things then we can set up a trajectory for folks to experience um relief uh and it's such a critical uh, aspect of uh interventions yeah Yes. Yes. Wow. And I'm, I'm reading that book. It's a long one. It's, you know, I'm experiencing it as a little dry and yet I'm still reading it. It's still very, very important. Um, but the other piece that I also don't think gets touched on, um, is of the embodiment and an embodied, you know, like one of the prongs that you spoke about, about the Mm -hmm. spiritual aspect And not everybody's going to, you know, you're going to relate to that aspect in direct proportion to how much you relate to spirituality in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And, and to clarify for yourself and to clarify here that spirituality is not religiosity. So it's not a faith prescription or adherence. It's however you're interpreting spirit. And so just to clarify that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And thank you for clarifying that. Couldn't agree more. And for yourself, what would you say are mm-hmm. the bigger spiritual pieces of wisdom, of embodied wisdom, of inner knowings that have come through you? Mm-hmm. in your grief and loss journey. And I'm, I'm asking after I'm like, wait a minute, that's quite a personal question. And yeah. I, I'm not sure if you're comfortable to, to yeah. answer. Absolutely. I and am if not. No worries. Yeah, no, I am. I will say that each of us wakes up each morning and we anticipate a very consistent, linear and predictable pattern of, of things that happen throughout their day. We wake up, we take a shower. For those who go to work, we drive to the office, we work all day, we come home, we may pick up our kids, and it's very predictable. Grief, whether it was an anticipated loss or a sudden loss, right, or death, I should say, is completely discombobulating. It goes against sort of the natural order of things And so that can lead one to ask some very important uh, and deep spiritual questions, such as um, how does this fit within the natural order, right? How, depending on if if you do ascribe to a specific faith, um, the allowance of the suffering associated with that death. And it can really create a lot of confusion and questions. For me, I think what it's done is help me realize that life is not linear. Simple thought, but for me, it's been very revolutionary and actually very freeing to know I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know what's next. And actually, the idea that I don't have to know frees me up. Because it's it's not it's not on me to have the whole prescription, the whole vision mapped out. The only thing required of me today is to show up and to be open. So back to your comment about the possibility of transformation, I think that really has guided me to a space where I don't have to have it all figured out and I'm curious about what's next. And that has actually expanded my faith 
and my spiritual seeking. Um, and I know that's not the case for everyone. Uh, but again, there's possibilities inherent in this spiritual journey overall. Mm, the possibilities. Possibilities. Yeah. That's a, it's a huge, deep, you know, the concept of, of, of pushing back against everything we have been told about mm -hmm. the linear nature of things. And, right. and it does bring up those questions, mm -hmm. right? It mm -hmm. brings up those questions. And for me, the biggest question that I was focusing on spiritually, mm -hmm. and I'm not mm -hmm. religious, so it's just mm -hmm. more of a spiritual soul thing for me, mm -hmm. is the difference between asking, why is this happening to me? Which didn't come up for me. That question yeah. didn't wasn't authentic to me. Mm -hmm. The question, and I know a lot of people ask it and feel that sure. way. Mm -hmm. And what was coming up for me spiritually was, why is this happening spiritually? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often think in farming language within my own self. And that's a question that I, I too asked was, why is this happening spiritually? And I had to really unpack that and really excavate grief for me, sort of um, unearthed a lot of questions about uh, relationships, uh, a lot of uh, questions about self-trust, a lot of questions around uh, my ability or inability to be present and grateful and all of these things. And so it was a lot of excavation and still 10 and a half years later, 11 years later, I'm still pulling weeds, still discovering things that I'm not, uh, I'm blind to now. But again, I think that over time, grief has remained the same, the way that I lean into it and the openness with which I have to do the excavation and exploration has definitely shifted. And I see that with a lot of individuals with whom I work. So just want to do a bit of encouragement if someone's listening, thinking, well, I'm not there. I'm, I'm angry. I don't get it. I'm confused about why this is happening. That's perfectly fine. And to really exercise compassion wherever you are, and should a space be created within your experience to um, explore something different, be open to that. Be open to that. Um, and you may, be, you may be pleasantly surprised at what you may discover about yourself, your relationships, and uh, your relationship to spirit. Well, that's so beautiful. And before, before we close out with sharing mm -hmm. your contacts and mm -hmm. a couple things you're working on next, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts or, um, you know, uh, uh, info or pieces that you want to bring forth just closing out for today, Dr. Mikel? Yeah. So <laughs> this will seem a little bit strange, Joelle, but one of the phrases that literally drove me nuts throughout my grief journey was this idea of holding space. It felt, when I heard that, and I knew that people had positive intent about holding space for the grief, um, it, it felt very nebulous to me. And I think for people who grieve, we're often sort of wondering, 
what do we do? How do we concretize these tools? How can we sort of embody beyond just going through it, which is very vague. And so I just want to offer some practical things for you to hold space for yourself. And that may be rest, right? Allowing your body to sort of regulate or down regulate, if you will, from all of the, the chaos that's happening with, within yourself. Um, it may be that you are leaning in and being curious about what's coming up and sort of excavating that a little bit more. Uh, it may be that you are setting firmer boundaries with people um, in light of relationships, or maybe you showing up more in relationships in light of the loss. So show hold space for yourself in addition to allowing other people to hold space for you. So that, that's, that would be what I would offer uh, on a practical level. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners, you definitely want to follow Dr. (laughs) Mikkel and Bloomwell as well for everything they're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mikkel has grief education courses such as she has an upcoming one that she hasn't dropped yet, but Mm -hmm. I'm on the wait list for that one. So cortisol, (laughs) COVID conversation. Yes. She also has the grief anatomy toolkit mm-hmm. and another course called reimagining life after loss. Month. Yes. I mean, you do Enneagram, you do like too many things, <laughs> right? Too many things mm-hmm. of amazingness. So check her out, purchase some of her courses or yes. her book. And where can our listeners find you? I know you shared a couple of your handles, But um, maybe just share them again and Mm -hmm. anywhere else that you want to direct our listeners to. Yeah. So on on cross social media platforms, you can follow me at at Dr. Mikkel, D-R-M-E-K-E-L. I'm primarily enjoying space on Instagram. And so I love doing education and you'll see all my reels and fun stuff there. Um, If you click the link in my bio, you'll access everything Joelle talked about and more. You can also uh, meet me on my website. It's uh, MikkelHarrisPhD.com. And then with Bloomwell, it's GrowWithBloomwell.com. So Joelle, I just want to thank you for, again, inviting me to the table. Uh, I never take that for granted. Um, I love your spirit. I love the... um, energy with which you bring these conversations forward. And I'm just so grateful. So thank you so much. Thank you. And we have to end somewhere and we will end (laughs) there for today. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Mikkel, for your time, for your blessings, for your Mm -hmm. knowledge that you're forging forward in the world and helping us all grow alongside you. So thank Mm -hmm. you. And that's it for today, dear listeners, for the House of Mourning.